so I'm joined here with Kip and Ronell Hobson from ASA. So straight off the back, if you can just tell us what exactly is ASA, what you guys do and your experience in sport. So ASA is the Academy of Sports Speed Australia. And basically what we do is that we work on beautiful acceleration and running mechanics in uh, footballers and athletes across a, a broad range of sports. Um, so we really look at making sure that athletes have got beautiful positions and postures, good acceleratory mechanics. So they're applying forces to the ground um, so that they're more explosive and they're more efficient so they can last through the game much longer um, and um, decreases their risk of injury as well. So it's about building the athleticism beneath the player. Right, okay. And something I want to be, get a better understanding of is how do you think you work with players or do you work with technical coaches as well on that sort of thing? Well, what's interesting is that we run uh, coaching courses. Yep. Uh, so within the coaching courses, we'll have anything from um, technical coaches, physiotherapists, sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches. So they come to um, to do the course, which is all about running mechanics and, del- and developing speed in players. Um, but one of the most important things as a athletic prep coach is to make sure that you're talking to technical directors and that you're talking to head coaches to make sure that you're building the athlete the way that they need the athlete to perform. Yep, I agree with that 100%. Um, regarding the technical coaches thing, I know you've been in um, England. You've been to, is it Rome you went to? Yes, we've been into we in Rome, Rome as well, yes. Yep, so you went to Rome and obviously you've been around Asia, but in Australia. How well received has that sort of speed education been for the coaches and how have have you got any evidence of them implementing that successfully within their clubs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, in the UK, um, you know, we've been fortunate enough to do some coaching courses for, um, you know, Arsenal and uh, Leicester City and Wigan and Southampton and Brighton. Um, and all of the coaches have received the courses really, really well. Um, and we've gotten a lot of feedback to say that they've definitely implemented uh, just the drills, the running mechanics and um, and just the thought processes around developing acceleration and speed in football into their into their day-to-day um, programs. Okay, good. Yeah. That's, that's a step forward. So if you've got, on a course, how many coaches are on one of your courses? Uh, we limit it to 20. Yep. I like to work around the 10 to 12 so I can really have one-on-one attention with all of the coaches. Um, so, yeah, we prefer it to be a small, um, small little group so that we can have that one-on-one focus and really make sure that the coaches leave the course really having a good grasp and an understanding of um, developing those skills. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, personally, obviously, I've done the co- I've done the course twice actually. Uh, so anyone listening, highly recommend it. And pretty much most of uh, things I deliver is from you guys. So fantastic, brilliant. Yeah, it's actually we actually got an email from Melbourne City uh, down there in Melbourne um, a few months ago, and they basically they just said, you know, can you come down and run the course here for our coaches? And mm. we're very happy to do that. It's been a wonderful day down down there at their academy, their facility. And they all loved it as well. And uh, they're very smart people down there. But uh, it was just a really good day sharing knowledge. Yeah, exactly. So sports speed, how important is it? <laughs> Integral. <laughs> it's vital. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always say, you know, you can have all the skill in the world, but if you don't get to the ball first, yep. you're not going to be able to show off that talent yeah. that yeah. you've got. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to be able to create space on the field so that you can take possession of the ball. Um, so... You know, learning that those vital skills of, especially acceleration. I mean, football is a very um, short to medium acceleration game, but you need to be able to repeat those acceleration mechanics time and time again. Yeah. Um, and um, the biggest thing that we find is that if you get perfect acceleration mechanics, you're applying forces correctly, you've got the athleticism to do that, then you're going to be a much more um, 
efficient player. You're going to be able to back up those accelerations uh, throughout the game, but also from game to game and from season to season. Um, so what happens is that when you get really beautiful acceleration mechanics in a player, they're a more robust player, yep. and they're a player that's not going to be sitting on the bench with injury. Yeah, we use the reference as a coin, both yep. sides of the coin. One side being the technical ability that you need for the game, the other side being obviously the athletic development. If you're lacking in either, then you're going to struggle in the game. You know, mm. coaches will cut you because even though you've got great technical ability, you're too slow. I'm sure parents and coaches have been through that as well. And the other side of the coin, if you're too fast, but your, t- your, your touch is terrible or you can't actually play the game, you're going to struggle as well. Both sides of the coin need to be developed. Mm. Yep. To make the coin worth, worth value. Well, that, I think that the football skill is obviously king. Mm. And the game intelligence is obviously a massive component of it. Absolutely. But I think... I don't know how well versus are in terms of the, the stats in football now, but it's getting faster and faster every single year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just look at the World Cup, Ronaldo, what's he, 33 or something? He, he's reached the top speed. Yeah. Guy who looks, clearly looks after himself. He's, mm-hmm. And the thing we preach to all our athletes is, like you said, zero to 20 metres, 25 metres is a really important part of football as opposed to getting to top speed very exactly. often. But they're the game-winning moments. They're the point where getting the end of a cross, five minutes to go, or getting that defensive tackle. Yeah. So in terms of that, if you're a football player listening or a coach listening, what sort of things do you think are the big rocks that players I mean for me if I'm working with a club I only get as an SNC coach 15 minutes mm-hmm. which again for me you still, I can still get quite a lot of mobility in there a little bit of running mechanics maybe some coordination yeah. some player metrics but what do you think are the rocks that if I've only got 10 minutes or 15 minutes as a coach with youth team or a senior team at any level what should I definitely do? I think within those 10 to 15, uh, 15 minutes, if you can, you need to run. You just need to sprint. Yep. But you need to make sure that the athletes have the positions and postures to, to sprint safely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's key. So in 15 to 20 minutes, you can do you know some quick um, bodyweight squats, squats and lunges so you can see the mechanics of the athletes before you progress. Um, but you... I mean, there's no point doing drills and drills and drills. You actually have to get the athletes to sprint. Um, So how you do that within the 10 to 15 minutes safely, Mm -hmm. um, you can build them up just starting by five-meter sprints. Mm -hmm. Um, Over five-meter sprints, it's going to be a really strong acceleration where you're just using glute quadriceps, so your hamstrings aren't going to be at risk of injury. So a lot of times I'll get coaches saying, we don't want our athletes to sprint at 100% effort because they're going to strain their hamstring. But if you're doing that over really short distances, the acceleratory model is glute quad. Mm -hmm. Um, So you're not going to get them up into that high-speed, you know, position that you were talking about where the hamstrings are at risk um so if you can get some jumps in there some reactive jumps for uh, foot impulse um if you can get some you know uh, both vertical and horizontal movement patterns where they're loading force and getting to explode the body in either of those two directions you're going to get a faster athlete good that's some good stuff uh, in terms of so one thing i find coaches find it hard to get their head, head around and players so you're doing five meter sprints ten meter sprints and then you get that rest period. Of course, mm. you need that little bit of a longer rest period. What I found quite useful is just making sprint to a cone, but then have a longer deceleration phase where you're just going to yes. walk back and kill some time. But sometimes coaches can look at that and be like, they're not doing anything here. Yes. So it's, <laughs> how, how have you found that? <laughs> educate coaches on, like, it's just a part of the, pro- like the recovery yeah. part. Is there anything that you do just to kind of, sometimes I, I'll throw in a bit of mobility after exactly, the sprint, like yeah. some hip stretches or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, what, what have you used? Yeah, I mean, the key thing to remember is that when you're training sprint, you're training the nervous system. Yep. And the nervous system needs a longer to recover so that you get maximum bang for your buck, do you know what I mean, in terms of your training time that you're putting in. Um, so most definitely rolling sprints. So we'll have the athletes, um, you know, jogging or starting to build into a sprint, similar to what you'll see in a game situation. Um, so we'll have them either working... Um, 
laterally, so they might do a lateral run mm -hmm. or a side on run or some side shuffles into a crossover step into an explosive sprint and yep. then have a run down as well. Um, so as you said, you're getting that short explosive 5, 10, up to 20 meter sprint in the athletes. But on either side of that, you're getting what they'll have in a game situation. Some lateral movement patterns into a run down or a jog or recovery, a backpedal reposition, and then we get to go again. Um, for those longer sprints where you need a little bit more recovery, just like you said, you can put in some mobilization work, do you know what I mean? Um, you might even want to just get the athlete to uh, critically evaluate and get some critical awareness in the athletes about how their positions and postures were through that run. Mm -hmm. So you might take a little bit of time just to jog down with them and just to, or, you know, get them to a walk where you're asking them, how did that feel? Do you know what I mean? How did you feel like your forces were applying? Get a little bit of knowledge uh, into the athletes or education into the athletes as they're going through, but that's how you can use up that time. Okay, perfect, yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, in terms of something to keep mentioning, we know is force application. Mm. Huge part of speed, huge, huge, huge yeah. part of speed. And a massive thing I'm pretty sure you're aware of is not a lot of football players are strong. Yeah. So where do you think that fits into the equation with speed? Because obviously the first thing we get all players saying is, I want to be faster. Yeah. I want to be faster, which is ideal for the game. But where does strength training yeah. slot in there? There's a nice formula for speed, which I use, and it's lift, jump, sprint. Yep. So you have to lift... So <laughs> whether that's applying load to the body, and I don't care how the load is applied, yep. um, if it's applied through a weight vest, if it's applied through sandbags, if it's applied through, you know, lifting in, in uh, you know, barbells in a gym, if the athlete's got correct form. Yep. One of the things that I really disagree with um, is lifting with an athlete's got dysfunction. Yeah. Um, so and I see that a lot in uh, football players. They've got a lot of hip shifts coming through and that's just because they're more dominant on one side than the other. Yep. So we try to balance that out before we'd actually get them into a serious lifting program. Um, but if you can lift, if you can jump and you can sprint, then you're going to be a faster athlete. That's my formula. Um, but strength is vital. Strength's the foundation of speed. Um, how you develop that strength is really um, dependent on who's standing in front of you. So who's the football that you're working with what's their training age and what's their experience in lifting yeah so it's one of those ones it depends it depends <laughs> it depends that famous answer absolutely <laughs> uh, so one th the model we use here at 90 minutes is so we look at a player might come and say For, I want to get more athletic mm. maybe. so we have like a, the pyramid the bottom of that pyramid is nutrition mindset and sleep and the next one is movement quality yes so for us most of the players can't even, aren't even can't even get past those two stages because they're not sleeping, they're not eating well, yes. their heads all over the place, they're stressed, yeah. and their movement quality is very poor, very very poor. So I'm like, well, you've still got work capacity to go, you've still got body composition, mm. you've still got strength, you've still got power, and then the speed. I'm like, if you can fix all those things, you'd be we call it free fitness. Like you're getting free fitness for just sleeping more, exactly, and better. So one thing that's interested about you is obviously you've done the Australian SNC conference recently, and it was mobilisation workshops. Yes. Is that correct? So I'd be interested in something we hammer home, hips and ankle mobility. Um, shocking in most athletes we've dealt mm -hmm. with, and most players have got hip injuries, groins, yeah. adductors, etc. Yeah. What are some, again, big rocks that you'd say are good things to do, or exercises, or yeah. if you get any links, or... I can put it in the show notes. A lot of the groin and the adductor injuries come out of poor hip function. Yep. Um, and as you were saying, the hips and the ankles are the big one for our football players. Um, in terms of <laughs> in terms of hip function, what we usually find is that a lot of our footballers will have an anterior pelvic tilt. Yep. Um, so they'll be quite tight through the hip flexors, although it's being addressed more and more often. Um, but they'll be really tight. And that's pretty much because they run 
I don't want to say like a duck, but they run very low to the ground. Um, And so they don't get that hip extension. The other thing is that when they're not playing football or doing specific training, they're probably sitting down all day at university or at school. Um, So for that reason, the hip flexors become really tight. Uh Um, Their hamstrings are then always in a lengthened position. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we need to do is that we need to actually um, strengthen the hamstrings. We need to uh, strengthen the rectus abdominis, which um, originates on the lower ribs and inserts down on the pubis symphys. So that's going to be um, exasperating the um, anterior pelvic tilt as well. Stretch out those hip flexors and get the glutes working. Um, So as you were talking about before, um, for us, the squat talks all about acceleration. If you can't squat correctly, you can't accelerate correctly in terms of forces. Um, So in terms of mobilization, we're really looking at motor control. Mm -hmm. We're looking at tissue integrity and we're looking at joint capture function Um, and so in the hips itself what we find with footballers is that the um, the head of the femur which is the thigh bone um, (laughs) it starts to jam up towards the front of the of the pelvic girdle or the hip and that's what causes those little impingements so athletes will talk about getting a little pain at the front of their hip a little bit of an impingement maybe when they're squatting maybe when they're doing some running so what we need to do with that is that we need to do some banded distraction work, some work. So we, um, as you said, at the Strength and Conditioning Conference, I did a whole workshop on banded distraction, tissue, getting back tissue integrity in, um, in running sports, and football is a big running sport. So we get the banded distraction to just try and pull that femur back or that thigh bone back towards the center of the hip. And there's a lot of mobilization techniques that you can use to recenter the thigh bone so it sits in the middle of the pelvis um, and allows the athlete to have better function. And then it's just deciding what needs to be stretched, what needs to be strengthened, and getting that balance and that symmetry back through the pelvis. So in a nutshell, stretch a hip, fle- hip complex, strengthen the hamstrings, strengthen the core. Yeah, and for joint capsules, reposition the femur in the middle of the pelvic girdle um, through some banded distraction or sp- some specific mobilization um, techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, and if people want to see those techniques, they can go to our website because yep. we're going to be putting up a whole lot of mobilization um, videos yep. um, towards the end of this year. And the website's just Academy of Sports Speed Australia? Yes, Academy of Sports Okay. Cool. Oh, no, dot com. Yeah. Cool. So again, the website's got loads of good stuff on it. Yeah. Some free, some really affordable training programs there as well. Good yeah, it's really good. We've got a beautiful eight weeks to speed program that we've got. Yep. Every single exercise has a video um, attached to that. So you're always going to know what the exercises are. Um, and the eight weeks to speed is really pretty much for those athletes that want to spend some time developing good athleticism and speed over the um, off-season break um, if they're fortunate enough to get eight weeks. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, obviously a lot of boys play NPL here. The break here is huge. They finish in September. Yeah. The season starts in March. Yeah. So... The big obstacle I have is what are players doing in that, what, seven, six months? Yeah. So you've got one side of the coin is people go straight to futsal and just play football again the whole mm. year round. Don't really do any sort of strength work or Which I think like is a mistake. Yeah, oh, big yeah. mistake. Again, I, I would say for a lot of players, I don't like saying to them, oh, that's has a mistake and sounding negative, but I'm like, this is your only window to really work on the strength mm. and the foundation to then build. Because you need the pre season. Yeah. And if I'm like, you're going to start pre season after just doing another season mm. your body's knackered yeah I think the hard work needs to be done in the off season 100%. when you've got time to rest and recover between training sessions that's when you can really get some good lifting in mm-hmm. um, get some, a really good strength foundation and get that speed work happening um, because your windows of opportunity to do speed work through the season get smaller and smaller mm-hmm. so if you can build a really big foundation of speed training um, and athletic development in your off season um, speed is one of the uh, the um, 
components of fitness that's last to, to go. It deteriorates mm. very, very slowly. Um, so you can hold on to that speed for a period of time. So get a lot of that done in off-season, um, I think is probably a, a better use of time. Yeah. yeah. Well, in terms of mobility, if I come, come as an athlete to you guys and I'm like, oh, you know, hips are tight, blah, 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 <laughs> which most people are, how many how often and how much time does that take out of my not including actual training the speed yeah. training if you say go home and do this yeah. how much in time investment is that 15 That's... to 20 minutes a day Okay. Cool. so we pretty much say you know once you've had your um, nightly shower you're warm you're ready for bed just spend some time in your bedroom or on the living room floor 15 to 20 minutes doing some good mobilisation and stretching work and you'll be a brand new athlete Okay. Good. Yeah. Uh, how big do you think that is an injury prevention Oh, massive. Massive, yeah. Yeah, because the thing is that the mobilization and the tissue integrity is what allows you to have symmetrical movements through the skeleton. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a beautiful symmetrical style of play um, and the tissues are pulling against the skeletal structures evenly, then you're a lot less risk of injury. As we said before, you become more efficient as a player because you're using less energy to move. Mm -hmm. You're able to apply forces more correctly to the ground, so you become a faster player. um, And you're not going to get those chronic injuries because of, uh, a lot of football players have compensatory actions. Yep. Um, you know, their muscles are all out of alignment. The skeleton is being pulled in all different directions um, under force. Mm-hmm. And so those compensatory actions lead to chronic injury. So 15 to 20 minutes a day looking uh, looking after those sorts of things, um, you know, can really work wonders for you in keeping you off the injury bench. And how long do you think it take to start to see those improvements? Oh, it wouldn't take long. Three to four weeks. Three to four weeks. Yeah. So three to four weeks, 15 to 20 minutes a day. Yeah. Doing some stretches, etc. You've got on your website or coming up on videos. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, in terms of hamstring injuries, this is something obviously a massive talking point in football. Mm. How, big a, how big a role does the sprinting component of things? Because again, one thing people think is if you sprint, you're gonna, you might be at risk of hamstring injury, mm. but more, more often than not, people aren't actually um, exposed to enough sprinting. Especially yeah, exactly. not the, the higher, the longer distance stuff. Exactly. Um, yeah. Again, a lot of players don't get to top speed. We still need to expose them to that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, all the small-sided games, I think a lot of football players don't even get enough exposure to that. It's all 3v4, 3v3, yeah. 4v4. So how much of a role do you think sprinting or doing more sprinting or the correct type of sprinting plays in the hamstring injury out with strength? Yeah, you'll see all of the big European and, and um, English clubs do big sprints. Yep. Um, and the reason why they do 40 to you know, max, 40 metres, do you know what I mean? Some of them will go up to 60 metres. I mean, Leicester City went up to 60 metres um, in their EPL winning season. Um, so those longer sprints actually build home, ha- hamstring robustness. Yep. That's what's going to build the strength in the hamstrings to cope with those sprints when they do get them in the game. So as you said before, every now and again, they'll get those game-winning opportunities or game-changing opportunities, but they are sprinting over those distances. And the injuries come when they're exposed to sprints in a game situation that they're not exposed to in training. Um, and so in training, we want to try and do some of those max velocity sprints. Yep. Um, the other really cool thing is that by increasing your max velocity speed, you're increasing your accelerator speed because they they're, have a linear relationship. Um, but most definitely in terms of hamstring injury prevention, all of the big um, clubs will be doing longer sprints. Um, and that's because they know that that's the only thing that they can do um, that will actually um, build the resilience and the robustness in those hamstrings to keep them free from injury in a game situation. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, FIFA 11 warm-up, are you familiar with a FIFA 11 warm-up? Uh, yes. So that one of the last components of, and this is a question I've, I've actually asked a physio recently as well, the last part of it is Nordics. Yes. Okay, so I always have that conversation in my head, right, okay, so if Nordics is the last part of that, 
I'm not 100% comfortable with doing then sprints straight after doing the Nordics. I would what's either. Your, yeah, yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, so I thought, yeah. what's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, my very humble opinion is mm-hmm. that I would drop the Nordics out of that yeah. warm-up. Okay. Um, primarily because Nordic is a knee-dominant exercise yep. and sprinting and running is um, hip-dominant. Yep. Um, so I think that Nordics have their place within the football system, but it's not at the end of a warm-up before you start playing yeah, or sprinting. Okay. Well, I'm an excellent boat as well. I just, I've just done it. I, again, I... You've got a 10, 15 minute window. Yeah. And coaches kind of buy into that because mm. you get told about the FIFA more. So I'll bash from like, I don't like doing this. This yeah. doesn't feel right doing a sprint after that. So that's good to know. Um, the next thing I was going to mention to you was mobility and flexibility. Could you quickly give a quick definition of both? Because I think sure. just for players listening, I don't think they kind of know the difference. Yeah. There. So mobility is the range of motion around a joint structure. Yeah. Whereas flexibility, we're talking about length of muscle tissue. Yeah. So two different things. Um, so you need both. Um, but you need to look after um, joint capsule and mobilization movement quality first. Um, so if you don't have the capacity to move well, um, or if you have a, um, an imbalance between left and right sides of movement structures between either the pelvis um, or the ankles, whatever, then the flexibility is not going to, the flexibility work's not going to do any good for you. Yep. So we need to make sure that we align everything by having good um, movement quality, which mm-hmm. is mobilization. So mobilization, as I said, range of motion around a joint capsule, um, and then flexibility is all about tissue integrity and length of muscle tissue okay. so that's where your stretching comes into play and um cool downs what is your because there's a lot of research coming recently like cool downs what the benefits are of them is a, yeah. is a limited benefit is it more what you do off the pitch as opposed to just that little cool down window yeah. i quite like the kind of habit of just getting them to stretch for five ten minutes yeah. afterwards what's your i mean a cool down traditionally is to bring the heart rate back down to normal yep so um we want to do that we want to bring the temperature of the body back down a little bit as well and we want to most definitely engage in some static stretching so the static stretching at the end of a cool down is about returning the muscle fibers um, back to the original length before all of those fast contractions um occurring through gameplay and and through the training so we want to return the muscle length back to what it was Mm pre-training we want to cool the body down we want to get them ready but then it's not just enough to do that 15 20 minutes after the game then as we said you have to have the 15 20 minutes of mobilization work mm-hmm. every single day so that you can then improve movement quality right okay so yeah. again that movement quality absolutely i think that's something the players can get again a massive bang for the buck to talk about bang for the buck yeah. is just a simple time investment 15 minutes yeah it's not stressful you can watch netflix stretching. exactly <laughs> I mean, exactly. it's an easy thing yeah um still sticking with the player idea so players are obviously listening one thing they'll always say in their head is I can't get faster. This is just this is just the way I am. I'm just not meant to be fast. Like me, particularly, I'm not a fast football player. But one thing I did benefit from was my ankle mobility, hip mobility. Yes. Even if I didn't put that much speed on, I did yeah. feel faster on the pitch and I felt sharper. Where, where do you think, or what do you think, players should understand about the human body that they can get faster? Obviously, genetics play a role. Yeah. But you yourself Every- compete. Obviously, yes. you compete. <laughs> so how would you say everyone can get faster? Everyone can get faster. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that you brought up ankle mobility because one of the biggest things that I see um, in football is, is the calf complex being so tight yep. um, that they actually can't uh, get their heels on the ground mm-hmm. um, and then so they can't actually apply force through the ground correctly. So sometimes just by learning correct foot strike mechanics and getting the length back and the tissue integrity back through the calf complex, which mm-hmm. is behind the, um, the shin, then what 
what you're doing is you're improving the forces that you're applying to the ground so you're already faster and all you've done is fixed one small joint structure and muscle length you know attaining to the lower leg mm-hmm. we haven't even looked at hip function um most football players don't use their glutes to maximum um you know availability so their glutes are usually weak and the glutes are the powerhouse for speed yeah. um so if you're not getting a full concentric contraction and you know powerhouse movement through those glutes um all these sorts of things can be trained so if you think that you can't be faster because of your genetics or you were just born slow i mean that those things are just complete rubbish um so <laughs> so you, you know it's about seeing someone who can understand what movement quality is for speed understand um, to be able to assess uh, why it is that that person is slow or not moving as fast as they need to be able to moving and then giving them a program that's specifically designed for that individual. Whether that be, as we said, lengthening through the hip flexors and strengthening the glute to give them more powerful explosive thrust, forward thrust, um, or horizontal propulsion is what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, or whether it's looking at the calf complex and getting some ankle function back. Uh, a lot of footballers also have um, a lot of pronation, so yep. it's about getting that arch back in the foot, um, getting some good movement through... Um, you know, through the calf complex and the plantar fasciitis, which is the, you know, the fascia that controls the, the height of the arch on the foot, getting forces applied through the feet correctly. There's a million and one things that can cause an athlete to be slower yep. um, than where their potential lies. And it's just about getting the right eyes on you to design a program. And it can be done quite easily. Um, you know, I was sitting at the strength and conditioning conference last weekend and I heard someone say, um, you know, it's hard to train running. And I thought, well, that's funny. I, I find it very easy to train running. Um, but that's what I do. Do you know what uh-huh. I mean? And yeah, that's yeah. where my passion mm-hmm. is. So getting the right eyes on you to look at you and design a program that's specifically tailored to fix um, your limitations to speed and address those. Um, and absolutely, you'll get faster. Yeah, yeah just adding to that, just to bring the human voice into it. I mean, I have these conversations with parents all the time, you know, and they tell me the stories that, you know, technical director at an NPL1 soccer club telling a parent, I'm sorry, but your son's not fast enough, you know, and you can't coach speed. So a parent walks away, you know, and distraught and that, and I'll talk to another parent who says, that's rubbish, here's a card, give these guys a call. Yep. And the person comes along, and Ronell assesses them, and she says, hey, we can transform you into a whole new athlete based on how they present. Mm. Um, and so if I can, you know, express to anybody who's listening to this, if you're ever told by somebody you can't coach speed, never let that stop your dreams. Never, ever take that as being gospel. There's enough, you can do research on the internet, you can find us, you can find, I don't care who you train with, but just never let that stop your dreams. Yeah, cool. So again, speed being a massive part of football. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a big massive part, you know, and they'll yeah. cut you for it if you're too slow, but more often than not, they won't actually train you yeah. in how to do it. And repeat speed too. It's not just good enough to be fast in the first 10, 15 minutes of the game. You have to be able to back that speed up repeatedly right to the final whistle. And that comes with repeat sprint ability, which we coach very, very differently to acceleration mechanics and acceleratory speed. Um, So it's just understanding those little nuances between the different types of speed required in the game. Yeah. For for coaches and players, I suppose, it's pre-season's coming up. Yep. And some coaches love... Perfect time to train speed. uh, (laughs) So just pointing on repeat sprint. Yes. Again, talk about speed longer rest periods more quality than anything else and then there's repeat sprint um could you just clarify for any coaches yeah. how they can differentiate the both of them and when you'd perhaps how you'd perhaps program them and yeah so pure speed 
um, is training the nervous system and training maximal forces. Yep. So that's our short accelerations, and that's where we need uh, the equivalent of one minute rest for every 10 meters that we sprint. So that's our, our pure speed. When it comes to repeat sprint ability, we want shorter rests now. So we might train anywhere um, between uh, you know, 10, 20, up to 30, even up to 40 meter sprints, depending on the competency and the training age of the athletes in front of us. Um, but with that, you can have a shorter sprint. Uh, so you can have a shorter recovery and rest. So that might be uh, where you have a, you know rolling and jogging recoveries yep. before you move into another explosive sprint. But you can have anything between 30 to 90 seconds um, for like a 30-meter um, a sprint mm-hmm. where you would normally be having a 3-meter rest in pure speed training. Right, okay. So pretty much in repeat sprint ability, you can cut the recoveries down by half yep. um, and you can uh, train that unique system of repeat sprints. And me personally, when I'm up with a squad, yep. most players can do with a lot of work on their speed. So I prefer to do speed work first and then do repeat sprints. Absolutely. So like at pre-season, I do build that typical foundation and go speed for a, a block and then repeat sprint. But I know some other people do it, flip that and do repeat sprint and then sprint. Yeah. Well, I'm like you. My preference is to train pure speed first yeah. um, because we want to make sure that their acceleration mechanics is beautiful, their running mechanics is beautiful. They know how to apply force to get through those first 10 metres to build up into those repeat sprints. Um, so pure speed training, I would always do first and then I'd back it up with the repeat sprints. Okay, that's, yeah. good. that's good for coaches, definitely. Yeah. Um, other things coaches can add to their sort of toolbox. Warm-ups, I mean... Coaches use hurdles, use ladders, they use little drills, use little games. In terms of the hurdles, um, we are huge on landing mechanics first and foremost. Yes. Here, that's, we take people through a, a full landing progression before they even get to do any sort of continuous jumping. But where do you stand? I mean, how do coaches best utilise them? Because I think coaches' ideas are in the right place. They kind of know that they have to do the warm-up, they do some plyometric stuff, and et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of progressions and what they can get out of that, it's, for us, very low volume fairly quickly how would you advise a coach to best utilize hurdles and speed ladders if you call them speed ladders sure. and, uh, <laughs> well hurdles absolutely so the best way to utilize a speed ladder is just to throw it in the bin <laughs> um, <laughs> um I understand why people want to use speed ladders, and it's usually for foot patterning and footwork, mm-hmm. um, but that's best done without a speed ladder, so throw the speed ladders away. Um, in terms of hurdles, absolutely. When we talk about landing mechanics, we need to train landing mechanics before we train jumping. Yep. Um, so uh, we always will even go from a, a high-reach toe position mm-hmm. down into a landing mechanic and making sure that the athletes are absorbing force really, really like a well. Like squat sort of thing. Um, well, tall, tall yes, short. exactly. Yep, okay, yep. yep, exactly. Um, so we call them reaches. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so making sure that they know how to land and absorb force, and then you can do your concentric jumps. So you might want to do some concentric jumps up onto a box, and then you can put the two together. But those nice mini hurdles are really, really good just to plan out, so that you can get some nice uh, vertical propulsions happening with yep. your jumps, making sure, of course, that the athletes are landing, and you want to make sure that you're doing both um, two foot and single um, foot landing as well. Um, you want to make sure that you're doing horizontal as well as vertical propulsions Mm -hmm. you want to make sure the athlete can basically go in any direction that they need to go Mm -hmm. or that they may be pushed in in terms of when they're contesting the ball and still land safely and absorb forces safely Um, so multi-directional jumps um, and you can do that with a you know a, a square drill box jump um over hurdles there's so many different things that you can do um with the ladders just throw them away 
foot patterning is done with the ball, and that's what the technical director will do. You don't need to do that when you're building the athleticism. So speed ladders do not make you faster? No. Yeah. Okay, just to clarify. Speed ladders that. allow you to be a better tap dancer. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, in terms of plyometrics, jump training, of course, I've got yes. a good transfer. All, all sprinters do them. Yeah. Um, stretch, shortening cycle is a big part of that. So, yes. I, again, I want to emphasise to athletes listening of the benefits of stretching yeah. and that, that whole so plyometrics obviously jumping can make you faster yep. can definitely can, so how can an athlete stretch to then improve the plyometrics side of things yeah so plyometrics is all about decreasing the ground contact time yep. um, and all the fastest um, players in the world um, will have a really really short sharp ground contact time and that's what allows them to apply force very very quickly to the ground um, in terms of the stretching as we say um, plyometrics is the stretch shortening cycle and the biggest part of that that's neglected is the stretch So again, it's about tissue integrity. It's about good joint capsule mobility. Um, It's about being sure that when you land, you can have a full, um, you know, neutral foot position on the ground. You can have a dorsiflexed position or a toe towards shin position, um, you know, in the ground and land softly and absorb forces softly so that you can then... Um, stretch those muscles over the skeleton to act like a slingshot. So if I've got my muscles stretching over my skeletal structure, let's use the calf complex as an example. Um, If I'm stretching from the Achilles tendon all the way up into my calf muscle, but I'm landing on my toes, then my calf's already pre-shortened. So then that takes that calf muscle out of the equation to develop that next explosive um, jump or forward thrust. If I land correctly, and I can only land correctly if I've done the stretching that I need through the calf complex um, to give me that um, tissue quality then I'm going to be able to apply force very quickly and drive up and forward um, and give me that explosive action that I'm looking for so you need to stretch the calf muscle to have correct landing mechanics to be able to apply for forces correctly to get you either jumping up or moving forward explosively perfect so yeah. <laughs> ankle and calf complex to get faster faster there you go simple yeah. uh, a good thing I always remember the first time I'd done your course was, you pointed out to me was, coaches always say, stay on your toes. Yeah. Just naturally in terms of, basically meaning be ready. Be, yes. be, be ready to go, which can have a negative connotation when it comes across to yeah. create, um, create running mechanics. Yeah. Can you just explain why that would be? Yeah, so, I mean, the coach's thought process is correct in that they want them to be light on their feet they want them to be ready as you said but we don't want them on their toes <laughs> um so we want them to be um in a midfoot you know sometimes even a flat foot position but a midfoot towards the foot so that they are ready so that they can apply force through the inside edge of the foot if they're going to move laterally so that they can afford apply force down and back through the field if they need to move horizontally or, or um you know in that straight line um position um what was your question <laughs> Uh, my, my, my question was I can't even remember my question anymore my question was about why don't you want them on their toes oh, yeah, on the oh toes, that's yeah, right yeah. 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 running mechanics for toes yeah. that's right so you don't want them on the toes for those reasons if, I, if, we're, if we're up on our toes the calf's already already contracted it's yeah. taken out of the equation um, so now you're just relying on glute quad to move you whereas we actually want the full um, you know hips knees and, and ankles um, in their full function to drive either vertically or horizontally um, so you need to make sure that you are not on your toes because if you're on your toes your foot's going to reposition itself so you're going to take the time to actually drop the heel back down to the ground so that you can apply the force back through the foot to drive through otherwise you're going to have a third of the force driving the athlete forward it's just a tweaking of the saying because you know the young athlete out there a young player out there on the field will hear the coach say that yeah and of course they're going to do everything the coach tells them to do their first instinct is straight yeah. up on the toes because that's what the coach asked them to do 
if you just retweet what he says, you'll get the, 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 the desired benefit for both. Yeah, just say be light on your light feet. Light on your feet, ready to move, ready yeah. to go. So we've spoke a lot about acceleration, straight line stuff. Yep. Change of direction is obviously a huge component of what you guys do as well. And yep. arguably, there's a, I think there's 900 changes of direction or something like that mm. in soccer. So huge component between injury prevention and maximising yeah. performance. How can someone best utilise from shuffling to the crossover step to all the rest yeah. of it? We, when we work with footballers, we always talk about multi-directional speed because that's what it is in the game. Yep. And multi-directional speed includes both straight line speed, it includes the transitions between one straight line speed to a next, so it might be a 45 degree cut right up to a 135 or 180 degree cut that's coming through the athlete um, to reposition themselves on the field. Um, they might be going from a rolling start, so a jog into a different cut, into a different diagonal direction. They could be backpedaling and then from that back pedal they have to uh, you know do a 180 degree turn and then sprint out of that direction so yep. it's about coordination uh-huh. um, so multi-directional speed whether it's um, a side shuffle into a crossover step and sprint whether it's a, a, a lateral run like a crossover run kind mm-hmm. of um, action into a sprint it's being coordinated in the body um, so that you can make those fast manoeuvring. So man- it's really about manoeuvring, manoeuvring from one straight line run to another, whether that run be diagonals, whether it be 180 degrees, whether it be backpedaling. It's just every single movement you can think of. It's the speed of manoeuvring that, that's um, important. And there's a lot of mechanical um, adjustments that usually need to um, take place in footballers that we work with to get mm-hmm. them doing that really well and quite quickly. Okay, Yeah. Good. What about a coach who wants to implement, again, you've 90 minutes, maybe MPL two, three, one, two or three times a week? Yeah. Training session, they'll probably say, okay, well, I want to implement speed, but I don't want to take away from technical work. How do you think, again, outside of warm up, they've got some sprints, acceleration stuff. How can they best implement that perhaps pre season? They're in a speed block, speed and power block. How would they implement that within their technical training? Do you think they can best utilise it? Do you think, like, sort of, I'm not saying to give me some drills here. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm not technical training, but in terms of, I know a lot of coaches use like 1v1 duels, but I think the fine line comes between coaches knowing what's speed training and what's yeah. conditioning. Is there anything that you've seen, other technical, because you obviously worked with some professional teams, etc. Yeah. Have you seen anything how they utilise speed, or is it always done separately? I know they definitely utilise the speed in their football work as well. Yep. Um, and sometimes what you'll find is that um, you'll have the... Um, the athletic developer so or strength and conditioning coach are working alongside with the technical coaches yep. um, so that when you might be setting up like a one-on-two or even a one-on-three yep. um, kind of scenario, you've got the technical coaches there looking at what's going on with the ball, the decisions that the players are making, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got the strength and conditioning coach or a running coach or athletic developer, whoever that person is, looking at the mechanics and the positions and the forces and how the body is manoeuvring through those, um, through that one-on-two or one-on-three position. And so then they can get together and they can talk about what athletic qualities need to be developed yep. to ensure that that, um, uh, that the athlete uh, performs you know what it is that the coach wants them to perform or makes the right decisions that the coach wants them to make in a game situation. Yeah. Okay. But you need to put the two together. You need to look at the athletic qualities and the, manu- the maneuvering or the movement quality um, of the athlete as well as the coach is looking at what decisions are being made and what are they doing with the ball. And so I think if the two come together and have a really good um, relationship and communicate well, those two coaching that, that athlete together is going to get you the best result. So I think... Would you suggest that most coaches should have SNC or a speed expert or someone 
it can it can soak to. I think most definitely if you've got a strength and conditioning coach who has a real good understanding mm-hmm. of movement mechanics um, and uh, positions and postures for speed, then you're going to be um, you, know, you know dealing with a champion team. Okay. Yeah. Um, in terms of testing speed. So if you had if a squad can says oh Renell we want you guys to come in and do something how would you te- I know you do the visual assessment yeah but in terms of we just want to know how fast they are if you didn't have light gates which a lot of clubs won't have yeah. timing gates what would you, is a t- stopwatch good enough do you think for a coach I think if you've been using a stopwatch for uh, ten to fifteen years then you might have you know like day in and day out then yeah, you yeah. might have some accuracy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that you know if you're just picking up the stopwatch for the first time you are not going to get accurate results yeah. with the stopwatch um, we personally don't believe in testing speed okay, um, which is really really interesting um, because what we find is that uh, is that Parents and coaches will come back to us and say, I can't believe how much faster they are before we've actually gone through that, uh, you know, six or eight week period where you would retest. Um, And so because we're working on movement quality, we're we're working on, um, you know, getting positions and postures to apply force correctly and we're getting the athletes running correctly, Mm. the coaches um, and the parents see it with their own eyes well before we would even decide to test. Yeah. 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 I mean, it might just be a case of, you know, the the, the, um, player playing without pain. Yep. We used to have this yes. guy now, which is great. In some cases, you know, um, yeah, it's just really good feedback like that. I struggle to have an, you know, a speed expert like Ronell um, spending a whole hour with a stopwatch in a hand writing down times. Yep. I just think if you've got someone like that on the sideline there coming in to coach, then use her skill set, get her in there coaching. You'll get far more benefit that way. How much do you think of the speed element of things? So most teams will do like a yo-yo. Yep. How much do you think that component, a really fast athlete, obviously maybe more explosive genetically, do you think that'll influence their fitness, like we mentioned, long-term efficiency? Do you think that'll also affect their, like their yo-yo results or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the more efficient you are at moving, the less energy you use to do it. Yep. Um, so you're going to get a much higher score in your yo-yo test um, just by improving your movement quality, the forces that you apply to the ground, because now you're not using up you know, the fuel tank to do that test. Um, it's As you said, it's about energy efficiency. Um, it's about getting athletes moving just as quickly in the last five minutes of a game as they are in the first five minutes of a game. Um, and that's all about efficient, um, yeah, efficiency and movement quality. Mm. And speed. I mean, speed should be easy. Do you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you know how to run and you know how to run really well, um, then you will be fast, but it's easy. Um, and so many... Um, even in those yo-yo tests, you know, I, mean, I see so many players muscling out their, their runs, mm-hmm. you know, where they're all tense through the upper body, you know, they're tense through the shoulders and they're muscling through their runs. That just soaks up um, fuel, you know what I mean, that you don't have if you're playing a 90-minute game. Um, so, you know, we'll have um, players come to us, they get tired very quickly um, and they don't need a bigger engine. So a lot of the time coaches will think they need more fitness, they need yeah, more yeah. fitness <laughs> and they don't need more fitness. The engine is there, yep. but we just need to... Um, we just need to make sure that we're not using fuel. I mean, the example that I use in my courses is, you know, an athlete steps, steps onto a, a, a pitch, you know, and they've got a fuel, a fuel bucket. Um, and if you're an inefficient mover, you know, if you've got poor quality movement, if you've got tight hip flexors, if you've got poor ankle complex movement structure, then that bucket's just got holes all the way through it and the, the fuel's just spilling out. So you're going to get tired really, really quickly. Um, but an athlete that moves well, we will run fast and we will run fast effortlessly. So again, massive component. Massive component. <laughs> massive component of it. <laughs> I wanted to shift it because we get a lot of coaches listen who work with youth athletes. I know you guys work with a lot of youth athletes as well. Mm. So a couple of que- couple of questions from my end would be one: youth training a big part of it is the week, and obviously they're going through that growth spot. 
how much of a difference I've found personally that it's helped a lot with just showing them how to run properly. Mm-hmm. I actually use a lot of the drills that you guys showed me, the ankling and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's improved like severs. Yes. How have you felt with you getting through that growth spot, doing it, just including some sort of speed training? Yeah, severs is, is a big one in football, in um, in youth, and we do exactly the same thing. So learning correct foot strike, and usually the severs is because the calf complex is too tight yep. and they've got poor foot strike mechanics. Um, so by getting the tissue integrity and the length of the calf musculature that they need to play the game, mm-hmm. um, by improving the, um, the tissue quality, um, uh, and the reactiveness, if you like, of the Achilles tendon mm-hmm. and getting f- good foot strike. I mean, foot strike um, and the tendons in the feet give you 50% of your sp- of your horizontal speed, you know, your explosiveness coming out. Um, so if you can get foot strike correct, then that's going to take the pressure off the Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Severs is just calf complex being really, really tight. The Achilles tendon pulling on the calcaneal junction, which is the heel bone, mm-hmm. saying, help me, help me, I'm in stress. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. trying to keep this calf muscle attached to the skeleton. Um, so it just layers down loads of, um, you know, phosphorus and calcium to try and hold on for dear life to that heel bone. So that's where that pain's arising from. Um, so if you get that tissue integrity and that length back in the calf complex, get them applying their foot correct to the ground then a lot of that goes away I mean we, we have parents that come to us and say the severs is gone we're not sure why um, but since <laughs> they've come to see you they're, they're not suffering from severs anymore mm. um, and so we don't have to explain the whole process to them but we're happy that they're happy yeah, they're, great, <laughs> they're great calls to get it's yeah no, that, that is that's obviously brilliant the big thing that I think uh, is going to run just now is I, we got a lot of kids in here who've had, had one boy tore his tore his hamstring mm. one boy's tore his quad I'm thinking 12, 13 yeah, years crazy. old yeah. do you think there's anything that's a factor in that I don't remember when I was younger there wasn't any really sports science it was really and if there was there was no internet really to search for it Yeah, I didn't have any injuries like that none nah. at all but now everyone's getting kids <laughs> 14 was getting ACL injuries and all that sort of thing yeah. what do you think is contributing to that I think that it's I think that it's how our culture has shifted quite dramatically uh-huh. um, and, it, and I always use the example you know I think about when we were kids we used to come home from school and play stuck in the mud and bull rush oh, and yeah. all of these fast um, explosive running and chasing games where you would be you know darting in and out and you would be developing all of these skills of you know change of direction and agility and all those sorts of things but unfortunately you know we don't all have the quarter acre backyard anymore do you know what I mean where <laughs> we just get out and play um, and so what happens is that and plays being dramatically reduced in school systems as well um, so what happens is that we're moving from you know sitting down all day at school sitting on the bus um, you know then sitting down at night and the only time that we are moving is during regimented exercise or regimented training um, and because of that we're training, uh, you know, in a linear fashion. So we're just training in the same directions that our sport has. We're not getting those multi-directional movements happening through the body. Uh, we're ending up with really tight hip flexors because we're sitting down too much. Length and glute max that doesn't have the strength for explosive horizontal thrust. There's just a whole world of issues that have risen because of the sedentary nature of our culture now and how we sit all the time when we're designed to move. Um, and we need to move and we need to play. Um, and kids need to play um, in an experimental fashion. Yeah. What about kids in terms of multi-sports? Something that um, the boys at Football Pathway do is they try and include, actually our holiday camps, we do multi-sports. And we do like half a day football, half a day multi-sports to try and, again, let them play and just figure mm. out games for themselves and stuff. But again, early specialisation is massive worldwide. What's your thoughts on on that? Do you think it, it's in the right place or do you think it could be as a solution there? I think it's really, really difficult because the seasons of our sports have lengthened so dramatically. Yeah. Um, 
but what we need to do is that we need to, as you said, we need to bring in a lot of multidimensional sports into our training environments. Mm-hmm. Um, so where we used to perhaps play basketball for half the year and football for the other half of the year, you know, we'd have movement qualities crossing over from yep. those two sports. Um, and so that's why, you know, even at places like Arsenal, they have basketball, do you know what I mean? A basketball yeah. court there where they'll play basketball. Southampton has a, a rock climbing wall, oh, do you know what I mean? Oh, Brighton, sorry. Brighton has a rock climbing wall. Sorry, so, um, <laughs> so the boys get to you know climb walls and just be kids and all those sorts of things and and I think that if we can bring that into um, into our football training structure that our kids would be better off it's like for a it. well-rounded athlete we're trying to build yeah. a well-rounded player who's resilient and, and um, yeah can handle anything thrown their way I think yeah. people think when you say them like oh like try these different like, I'm, I, I always tell kids to do gymnastics like especially younger ones I'm like I'll oh, go to gymnastics like you'll just be amazing <laughs> like, yeah. forever I'm like but they think that means I should just stop Doing anything. I'm like, you can still go and play football with your mates and all that sort of thing, but you don't have to be so structured with it. You've got yeah. like nine year olds just they're doing their warm up and then they're, they're skill training and then their game training, like it's just so structured at nine years old. And I was like, you can have a time and place for that, but I feel like going to gymnastics, maybe that's structured, then go and play in the back garden. Yeah. That's how most boys, I think, maybe in a few decades ago, got good at football by exactly. playing with their mates, just like yeah. working things out, playing with the bigger boys who shoved them around and working things out. Mm. So I think there's definitely. I don't know if that's a cultural thing that this won't change. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. <laughs> and even just um, uh, some of the research that comes through from some of our um, African nations and things like that and the way that they, um, you know, they don't have as much regimented structured, um, you know, learning of the game of football. As you said, they'll just get out with a, an old ball on the streets and just kick it around on the dust and, yeah. and just, you know, muck around with their friends and, and that's how they learn the game. <laughs> and I think that we, you know, the fact that we've come up with a, a term, you know, for experimental learning, do you know what I mean? Where we, which is really just get out there and play. Um, the fact that, you know, sports scientists have created this term that means go and play yep. and see how you feel, do you know what I mean? And, and teach the body to move in a lot of different directions um, and apply forces different. So the fact that we have a term for that is really sad state, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> of where the world is today. Um, but yeah, the more that we can get out and play and have fun and on monkey bars and, and um, yeah, just, I mean, hopscotch and skipping and all these things that used to be a part of a daily routine that wasn't a part of sport, um, they're the things that we're missing in the youth development. What about strength training for youth kids, for youth athletes? Something amazes me still as I get questions. I got a question last week. Uh, one of the boys who's been training for maybe a year, he's really moves really, really well. Uh, he went through, I think he was in, uh, in Swiss, something like that, came through there, so he moves really, really well. Great little athlete, but he said he came back. He's, all, all the kids at school said... Um, I'm not going to grow because I'm doing stress. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, is that, is that still a thing? I don't know that was still a, still a myth. Not in the world of educated people. <laughs> yeah. it's not just the kids saying that yeah. too. But so I mean, obviously the kids are getting it from somewhere. I mean, yeah. Somebody's telling the kids that. Yeah. Quite archaic, yeah. Um, so in terms of weight training, you can, you know, you can really start loading the body. I mean, if you look at gymnasts, I mean, exactly. gymnasts start loading the body from three and four years of age. I mean, I've been to gymnastics facilities where I've seen, you know, seven and eight year olds, you know, standing with another girl on their shoulders, do you know what I mean? Squatting and doing all the work, do you know what I mean? They're yep. loading the body and the forces. Um, so a lot of that archaic, um, kind of thinking, um, has gone thankfully now because we do have sports science and we do have researchers that are studying these things mm-hmm. and we know that you know bone growth isn't going to be affected by loading the body um it's really just about having supervised uh loading and as i said before you know it doesn't have to be a barbell it can be a sandbag yep. it can be a weight vest it can be you know um a swiss ball filled with water if we want to even add you know some yeah. more um you know core stability factors into it but 
yeah, even body weight training, do you know what I mean? Starting with push-ups and chin-ups yep. and just, I mean, yeah. the amount of footballers that, young footballers that wouldn't be able to do one or two chin-ups, do you know what I mean? Oh. Netballers that... Not young footballers. Yeah. We get, we've got a, it's in a standardised testing. Some of the boys can't do three, four chin-ups. Mm. And it's just like, I'm not expecting you to smash out 20, 30 chin-ups either. I, I thought, like, take your own relative yeah. strength-wise, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something there. I think um, a lot of the kids... We get in here as well. They they want to go straight. They see the stuff on obviously Instagram now is massive. So they see all the cool stuff on Instagram. And they want to do all the cool stuff. And uh, but then if you give them any sort of like a goblet squat for talking, yeah, easy, beautiful, yeah, easy, easy mechanics, and the kids are like, oh, parents go, should we be doing that? I'm like it's a six kilogram dumbbell. Yeah. Like how heavy is the school bag? <laughs> exactly. I see kids yeah. going to private school. Their bag is yeah, about twenty kilograms. Yeah, and it's okay carrying that. But then as soon as they've got because it's the shape of a dumbbell, it's like yeah. ah, they shouldn't be doing that. I'm like ah, oh, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, there's a lot of really good articles written out there now and with the advent of the internet and Google and that. You can easily, um, you know, if you do get those get those thought processes coming into your life, you can easily jump onto the internet and, have, and do a quick search and see some really well-written, well-researched articles. As long as you're searching find... Google Scholar. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say that. Yeah, I think that knowledge is dangerous sometimes and yeah. Google is dangerous because yeah. you can find anything you want. I can find a negative thing exactly. on it easily enough. Is there any good resources you'd say for players and coaches to look at, people you follow or always look at other stuff? We always recommend you guys. We like recommend loads of different people who we feel like if you want to know about power, go to see these people. If you want to know about hamstring injuries, go and see these people. I think come to our website first, <laughs> 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 um, because we because we have so much there for the youth, and we have all of those introductory and those progressions leading in for them. Mm. Um, do you mean to go through that through, through um, those processes? But the thing is that. Uh, when it comes to loading, you can load any athlete that has beautiful function. Yep. What I don't like seeing, and I've seen this recently where I've had to correct a few 17-year-old footballer strength and conditioning programs, um, is that um, some people are loading dysfunction. Right. And yep. so we need to make sure that the athletes are squatting correctly So by starting with a bodyweight squat. Mm -hmm. And if that technique is perfect and we're loading correctly, then you can start to add load. Yep. So that's the biggest thing that I would say to parents and coaches. Don't load dysfunction. Yep. Correct function first and then start to load appropriately mm. um, in terms of um, places to go for resources and things like that um, there's a lot of great podcasts that you can go to now yep. um, and we've got a resources page on our website as well yep. with mm. a lot of the different podcasts um, that we recommend it's recommendations recommendations yeah. page on our website it's got podcasts it's got people to follow on social media it's got books too books yep. for performance training yeah for co the coaches will love them um yeah, it's got it's basically designed so you can go straight to exactly what we think that you know is best bang for your buck. Absolutely. And the most important thing too is to for young young athletes to ask their coaches why. So I always try and educate my coach uh, my athletes so that if they don't understand why they're doing something and how that relates to their performance on the field, ask their coaches why. Yeah. Um, and if their coaches can't give them the answer. Then maybe go see another coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Do you know what I mean? Or get a new point? trainer. Yeah, Same yeah. as in terms of athletic development, most definitely. Um, you know, the person that's designing or creating or building that young body to play football mm -hmm. has to understand uh, the principles behind everything that they're doing and why they're doing it and how it's going to benefit that athlete on the field. Mm -hmm. What would you say, again, a few more questions before we wrap up, but I'd, again, there's going to be players listen, there's going to be coaches listen. I'd like players to leave and go, right, okay, Maybe they will have an assessment. I mean, obviously, that'll be their first protocol if they're going to do that. If they go, what can I implement right now? Mobility, yeah. flexibility. What else could they do? Do you think immediately to implement it in their schedule? Do you think? Because a lot of players don't. 
a lot of players who strength train yeah. tends to be more aesthetic based. Yes. You see a lot of MPL players just now who are big lads, yes. which is greater than a gym. But they've got to be like, able to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's like kind of like, I think the biggest obstacles we have and what we try to do here is when to train, how to train, and why you're training sort of thing. So yeah. it's like they're training maybe the day, training the central nervous system, what, like overkill, it's just constant their bodies just getting into overdrive they don't know when to rest when to recover all the rest of it so what could they implement so a good strength programme from your end of things to develop speed what would that include if they're functional obviously dysfunction imagine they're functional yeah absolutely so it's always going to have a squat lunge and a hinge yep. it's going to have um, some um, some sort of a hip thrust or RDL in there yep. do you know what I mean which is obviously your hinge action um, it's you I mean you stick to the basics do you yep. know what I mean Push, pull, press, upper body, squat, lunge, hinge, you can't go wrong. Yep. Um, so six quick exercises, but you have to make sure that you're developing really good, strong um, hip extensor action. So any exercise where you've got um, hip, knee, and ankle extension yep. um, is going to be your key factors for speed. Um, if you are lifting vertically, make so that, sure that you're pushing horizontally, so using a sled or a prowler or something like that. We want to make sure that we're getting both uh, vertical and horizontal thrust happening through the hip, knee, and ankle. That's critical for speed. Yep. Having a really strong core mm -hmm. so that you get a good summation of forces, which means that the driving thrust of the arms is transferring down through the legs into the feet as well, yep. um, is really important for speed. Um, and I think that that sometimes as well where our footballers go wrong, so there's not enough... Um, you know, core function, yep. and by core we mean the shoulder girdle and the pelvic girdle and all of the muscles front and back. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, as you said, you know, you'll see the boys that are training, you know, summer's coming up, so they'll be doing more bench and more abdominal work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, So we want to make sure that they're doing reverse as well, that we're getting good rhomboid function and, and um, getting back extensive fun uh, function as well. But definitely hip extension um, and any exercise that gives you those triple hip, knee and ankle um, extensor movements are going to be good. And what? Two, three times a week, do you reckon? Uh, I think definitely for strength at that level, you only need to do two total body strength and conditioning sessions. Yep. Um, and if you can get two speed sessions um, split in, you can even do strength and conditioning first thing in the morning and then, you know, have, you know, four to five hour recovery and go do your speed work yep. at night. Um, and so that's just going to take up two days and the rest of the time you can fill it with football. Yep. And plenty of recovery and regeneration and 15 to 20 minutes of mobility work at night. Recovery, generation, basic sleep, nutrition. Sleep and nutrition. Sleep nutrition, good. Yeah. I'm on that page as well. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's not much. Again, coaches, like I said, warm-up's probably the biggest thing. They, if they don't have an S&C person and they're quite happy with how their sessions are designed with a model they've got, warm-ups, um, start with short accelerations, five metres, build from there. Once we've warmed up, yes. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so warm-up, on yeah. the warm-up, I mean, again, warm-ups are hard work try to get kid, uh, kids anyone footballers to warm up yeah. properly in terms of again we can say okay like open up the hips so yeah. it's usually done pretty poorly I'm a big believer in the warm-up choreography yep. so creating a routine yep. um, that covers everything that you need um, that will get the players ready to go into your short accelerations and if it's a routine that the whole team knows and that they can run through um do you know what I mean? Like create that choreography that this is the way the whole team starts. This is where we can get, you know, through the exercises that we need to do to prepare the body mm -hmm. for the conditioning phase, but still allow some banter and some catch up between the players yep. as well. Um, I think that's critical. And then obviously move into your five to 10 meter accelerations and off, off different um, movement patterns. So, you know, you want to have some off rolling starts, some off, um, you know, falling starts, some off from the ground so that we can get some good push mechanics into the athletes in those first couple of steps. So, 
playing around with how we um, we actually start those accelerations as That's well. That's low volume. Low volume. Low volume. Low volume. Yeah. Um, probably good to finish you off with where guys, if somebody, an athlete's interested in training with you guys or a coach wants to use for consultancy, how, how would they go about that? Well, the easiest way is just type AWSA Speed Sydney straight into Google. We'll yep. come up from there. Um, the website is academyofsportspeed.com. It's quite a mouthful. So just type AWSA Speed Sydney into Google will come up. Or simply type Rennell Hobson, Rennell's name into uh, Google and it will come up there as well. They can just contact us by telephone or by the website. We've got a contact forms yeah. page on the website. Yep. Our, our phone numbers are there as well, so they can just give us a call. Yeah. Um, and Deb in our office will look after them. Yeah, because on the website we've got the, you know, the recommendations page under the About Us, which is great. We've got um, a whole bunch of free speed drills as well. We've got a whole bunch of dynamic mobility, your three-and-a-half-minute yeah. yoga routine that, that you um, thoroughly recommend to all football, football players. We've got uh, medicine ball drills. We've got mini-band workouts. These are all um, workouts there that people can jump on and look at the videos and start using straight away. Yeah. As well as, of course, the, uh, the specific um, um, programs for sale, which you know, go for the eight or ten weeks, um, which are obviously of, of, of a very high quality. Mm. Athletes could up, could absolutely get on and get their mobility work, their speed technical work, um, some explosive power work through the med ball training, all free of charge from the coaching videos on the website. Yeah, we recommend you know, jump onto the website and just take your time and enjoy every single thing on there because it's all designed to, uh, to help and to inform. And the first thing, if a player does get in contact with you, the first thing is an assessment, is that mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, yep, so we'll assessment. do a functional assessment. Um, and just look at their their speed mechanics. We'll have a look at their hips, knees, and ankles. Mm. We'll see what needs to be stretched, what needs to be strengthened, everything that we've discussed in the um, podcast today. Mm. Um, and we'll make sure that they've got a program designed specifically for them to get them moving. Yeah, I really like that because not only does she identify you know, what issues there are, they also get a program at home to actually fix those issues she's yep. identified. So it's yeah. a complete package, complete picture for them. Is it our age limit? Yes. We start at, nine, start at 9 plus. 9 plus. Um, we're out there at Blacktown International Sports Park, which is where the Wanderers have set up. And um, it takes an hour. And all we ask for people for the assessment is they bring their uh, their playing boots with them as well because halfway through they'll go from their joggers to playing boots when we look at the change of direction. Cool. Um, like I said, it's a full um, assessment and a full package where they will get home programs to actually fix what Renault's identified at the time. It's very It's a wonderful hour. It's really good. Yeah, I've seen it first time. It's brilliant. It's fantastic. Really, really good. It, yeah, it's amazing how quickly she identifies issues they've got. And um, you know they get a lot of a lot of confidence, mm-hmm. a lot of peace of mind out of it too, which is great. There was actually I remember one of the times I was with you, and you you said, "Oh, you can see she's not playing force," and I'm like, looking at her. I'm like, sorry, can you just show us again? And you're like, "Sorry, can you just do that again?" So we can do a little teaching <laughs> moment. And watch. I'm like, "What are you seeing here?" <laughs> you're like, "How can you not see that?" I'm like, "No idea what you're looking at." It's so funny. She's looking at a, a 55 year old master sprinter in Perth last week. And um, he's just taken two, run out 20 metres, run back 20 metres. And she said, you play football, don't you? <laughs> and he's like, what? He used to be a striker. Oh, did he? So he played, he was, he's obviously a master's athlete now, but he played. He kept telling me, he goes, he was I can't a striker for 20 years. Oh, as, soon yeah. as, he, as soon as he no. ran, I saw the footballer in him. And it's funny yeah. how the sport does manifest itself in the way they run, the way they move. Yep. You yeah. can pick a, a football player, you can pick a rugby player, you can pick a, an AFL player, you can, you know, all, uh, you know, all these sports come through the way they run. So, yeah, she's... She's never failed to uh, to identify and help someone, and it's always a wonderful hour. As I said, it's it's, it's so encouraging for them because often they come to us as a last resort. Yep. Tried everywhere else, you know, and I've found you somehow, and I've come to you. Um, and within that hour, you know, they've just got some real plans moving forward to um, to fix what's what's ailing them. Yep, good. 
Highly recommend, and also highly recommend the course. When's your next course? Uh, September, it's, no, sorry, December um, 16th. Is it sold yeah, out? 16. Yeah. Uh, no, I've got about five spots left, I think. It's on a Sunday, um, and it's out there at Jania Netball Centre at Sydney Olympic Park. Even though we use the Netball Centre, it's not just for netballers, it's for <laughs> all sports. We, we like to use the Netball Centre there because we have the indoor function, so it takes weather out of the equation. Uh, it's nine full hours with Rennell, four hours theory, four hours prac, um, discussions, discussions, and... Um, and it's a brand new revised course as well, so even people who've done it in the past, maybe um, a while back, because we have been running this current course for a long time now, yeah. um, the course has been updated and it's got a lot of um, new and fresh information. Yeah. Ex- Exercise Sports Science Australia accredited, um, NSCA accredited, American Council of Exercise accredited. It's, um, it's, an Fully accredited. it's an excellent day. And it's on the website? On the website. On the website. Cool, and that's that similar one you delivered to the guys over on the EPL? Uh, uh, yes, it so, is. Yep, so, so coaches, I'll jump on board to that. I highly recommend uh, jump on the website for that. And lastly, Instagram, Facebook, these are on there, aren't social media? Yep, all, all through so, social media. Yep, we basically post every day on, on Facebook, which is great, under Asa. And yep. Instagram. And Instagram. Instagram. And uh, Academy of Sports Speed. Yeah, Academy of Sports Speed. Brilliant.